Welcome to the Teaching and Lectio podcast for the Abbey, a contemplative vineyard church in Columbus, Ohio. You can find previous teachings and our contemplative reading of the scriptures on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website at theabbeycolumbus.church. There, you'll also find important announcements, along with the location and time of our all-church gatherings and community groups throughout the city. The Abbey is committed to being a church that helps people notice and nurture the work of God in their own lives, in the lives of others, and in the world around us. Here's this week's message. Hey, how, how are you guys okay? How was that? Um, that's, uh, I'm about to lose my iPad here. One second here. I just want to welcome you. Um, if you're new with us, the, the time of silence that we just spent together is an important part of what we do simply because of the fact that we really believe that, um, that God has breathed his own spirit into you and into me and that we can rest and pause and be attentive to, to what God may want to do. And so we practice together together. Uh, as a group, and the hope is, is that you can also then take that practice home and begin to nurture that practice in your life. So uh, my encouragement to you is to maybe try and start with like five or six minutes um, in the morning. Just sit open-handed before God and ask God to to speak to you and to be present to you. So it's really good to, to be here this morning. Uh, my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to be continuing our series uh, through the book of Acts on the kingdom of God that we're going to be doing until May. So we're going to be in this series for a long time. So um, about 10 or so years ago, uh, a philologist, uh, how many of you know what a philologist is? I had to look it up. A A philologist is somebody who thinks about Uh, and studies words and the origins of words and how words make their way into language. And this philologist was trying to chase down an observation that another scholar had made about the color blue and about how words describing the color blue show up or don't show up in various languages. So a couple hundred years ago, a scholar pointed out that the ancient writer Homer uses all sorts of phrases to describe the color of the ocean, but he never uses any word that would we would translate blue. So he uses like language like uh, the, the ocean was a wine dark red or something like that. And so this philologist, this guy who studies languages, he analyzed the ancient languages of Icelandic and Hindu and Chinese and Arabic and Hebrew to see if those ancient languages used the color blue because he realized that many of the ancient languages don't have a word for the color blue. Uh, Maybe I'm the only one that nerds out on these kinds of stories, but all of you are like, what in the world are you talking about? But here's what he found. He found no mention of the color blue in any of those ancient languages. And so this sort of caused researchers to wonder if the ancient people had a word for the color blue. And more interestingly, they wondered if ancient people even saw the color blue. Like, if you don't have language for it, then maybe you don't even see the color blue. And there have been various studies that um, they sort of went about trying to answer this question, and the most compelling of which is a study of a tribe in the southwest of Africa in the country of Namibia. And this tribe is called the Himba tribe, and they studied this because this tribe does not have a word in their language for the color blue. 
There's actually no distinction in this tribe between blue and green. Isn't that interesting? And so a team of researchers wanted to test whether that, that that meant that they couldn't actually see the color blue. And so he showed members of the tribe a circle with 11 green squares and one square that's obviously blue. Can you guys see it up there? And the members of this tribe really struggled to be able to tell the researchers which of the squares was different. And then, in order to try to understand even further, the researchers noted that this tribe has more words for the color green. Like, they have like 11 words for the color green. And, and, and so uh, they reversed the experiment for English speakers, and they showed English speakers this picture. And they asked English speakers to point out the square that looked different. And looking at this picture, most English speakers have a difficult time determining which of these squares is different from the rest of them. Do you guys see it? I don't see it, and I actually know which one it is. <laughs> so for the Himba tribe, it's easy. There's actually one square that stands out to them that is a different color for them because they have so much nuance around the color of green. So the researchers have concluded that it's likely that ancient civilization may not have really made the distinction between blue and green. And the implications of this research, at least from a linguistic perspective, is that unless there is something about language and words that allow us to see things previously unnoticed, unless there are words to describe something, we may not actually be able to see it. Does this make sense? You guys are still looking at the color green, aren't you, right here? You're like, I, you lost me, Jared, like five minutes ago because we're just trying to figure it out. I'm actually not even going to tell you. We can go to a blank slide. <laughs> this brings me to the main idea that I want to share with you this morning, and it's something that I want you to hang on to as we move our way through the book of Acts over this next nine months, and it's this. Words and the speaking of words are part of what make incomprehensible things comprehensible. Language and words are really required of us to describe what is happening. The way that something that is at first a mystery is revealed as something that we can actually take in, this often happens through the acts of somebody putting it into words for us, explaining it, saying it out loud, describing it for us. Words have the power to reveal. Are you with me, guys? Words have the power to do the work of revelation, of revealing. And the kingdom of God is like the color blue in a world where people have only language for green. It's like right there in front of them. Like this is how Jesus described it. He says that the kingdom of God is like right here. It's within you. But unless we give words to the kingdom of God the way that we see it, people around us are not going to be able to see that. Do you guys see why I've shared with you a story about the Himba tribe and the color blue and green? One of the ways that the kingdom of God and the presence of God and the things that God is doing in the world becomes visible and understandable is through words being spoken. Words and the speaking of words make what is unseen visible and what is incomprehensible able to be understood. And so if you were uh, with us a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the spirit of God coming with power. And the book of Acts is the second volume of a two-volume series often referred to as Luke-Acts 
which is written by Luke. In a, Luke is a contemporary of the Apostle Paul. Luke was the guy that was traveling all throughout uh, the, the Middle East with the Apostle Paul, the Mediterranean. And Luke's gospel account was written after sort of careful investigation of the details of Jesus' life, including many direct conversations with the disciples. And Luke is said to be a historian in the sense in which Luke seems to be the most attentive to how things actually unfolded. And like the Gospel of John, for example, is, is trying to figure out what it all means. So Luke is like a historian. He's really intent on writing down what actually happened as the kingdom of God begins to spill out. So in the book of Acts, Luke picks up the story just after the resurrection, and it's a story about the way that the kingdom of, of God that Jesus preached about actually unfolds in the life of people. They're trying to figure this out. And the hinge on which the kingdom door swings is in Acts 1-8, where Jesus says this. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will give witness and bear witness to the things of the kingdom of God. And two weeks ago, if you were with us, we talked about three specific things that the Holy Spirit came to give us power for. He came to give us power to give away what has been given to us. He came to give us power to lose the life that we thought that we wanted in order to gain the life that God wants to give us. And he gave us the power to comprehend and to understand the depth and the width and the breadth and the length of the love of God for us. This is all empowered by the Holy Spirit. And today, I want to dig a little bit deeper on this last one, this one about making the love of God comprehensible, understandable. So friends, if the book of Acts were a movie, it would go something like this. I want you to imagine this, Lord, like a movie. There would be an opening scene full of surprise and wonder and probably a little bit of a confusion as a man who everyone saw brutally murdered and killed was laid in a tomb. This is Jesus is now walking around doing house visits with common people like you and I. So there'd all be all of these different scenes where Jesus was gathering with different people, eating meals together, going to the market together. For 40 days, Jesus walked around the city with people like you and me. And there would be enough public exposure to fully convince anyone who was really paying attention that something absolutely strange was unfolding in the midst of them. And right before the main action of the movie would begin, uh, there would be a scene that would foreshadow the entire movie. And the scene that would foreshadow the entire movie is a scene where Jesus tells his disciples to wait in Jerusalem, do not leave the city until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, because you are going to need power in order to do the things that I'm asking you to do. And then the action of the movie would begin to pick up. And we would come to this second scene. And this second scene would be, would be both the promise of Jesus's, would be the fulfillment of the promise of the power coming, but it would also be a scene that would foreshadow the rest of the movie. The director would cut to the scene in the video where the power of the Holy Spirit actually does come on people. Like we read about this in Acts chapter 2, that the power of God's presence in the Holy Spirit was so palpable that everyone thought that those who had received the power from the Holy Spirit were drunk. They thought that everybody was drunk, I presume because they were having so much fun. The Holy Spirit comes, 
and a spontaneous, joy-filled party breaks out when the presence of God shows up among them. And, and, and everybody thought that they were drunk, but they weren't drunk. They were, in fact, just speaking languages that everybody in the city could understand the kingdom of God. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, we looked at this from Acts chapter 2. This is a scene where everybody is hearing the kingdom proclaimed in their own language. And it sets the stage for the rest of the story. And the rest of the story is about people speaking and explaining and proclaiming and putting into words the way that the kingdom of God was spilling out in front of them. If you guys go back and read through the book of Acts, what you read is that it's just a bunch of people talking about what God is up to and doing. Does this make sense? Okay. And the thing that I want to highlight for us this morning, which is why I shared a story about the tribe of people that can't see the color blue, is because the way that the kingdom of God comes and often appears is through the part that you and I play of proclaiming the good news of God, proclaiming what is actually happening, putting into words the things of the kingdom that we see. Guys, it's the spoken word that uncovers the mystery of the kingdom of God. It turns the green squares happening in the everyday world blue for people because there's kingdom things happening all around us all of the time. And the thing that God is asking us to do is to point out where in the world the kingdom of God is unfolding. So let me just like ask you a question. What does it feel like for you to begin to try to put into words the transforming love of God at work in your life? What's that feel like for you? Like, is that something that you feel comfortable trying to figure out how to do? Heather asked us a couple of really good questions during our time of silence. Like, what do you notice is happening? What would it be like if you regularly tried to put that into words, into language, and to speak it out loud? And listen, I'm not talking about the preaching about the kingdom. I'm not talking about proclamation like what I'm doing right now. I mean, like, what, what are the moments recently when you turn to your, your partner or your friend or maybe even one of your children or your parents or your roommate and you simply said out loud the way that you are present and aware of the extravagant love of God? Are you saying it out loud to one another? The kingdom of God comes through words. That's what I want to talk with you about this morning. And through the very act of speaking out loud and bearing witness to ways that we see Christ present into the world. And so if you read through the book of Acts through this lens, which I would encourage you to go back and do maybe this week, like look through the book of Acts and look at all of the ways that people are saying out loud, this is what God is doing. This is what we see God doing in the midst of us. They are identifying and revealing and speaking about the kingdom of God. And I just want to offer two primary categories for us to think through, two primary contexts where we can use our voice and our words and through our voice and words actually do the work of revealing what God is doing. So first, there is a kind of proclamation that happens among friends. And second, there's a kind of explaining and testifying 
to people who are outside of the faith, who don't have life with God, who have never experienced the love of God. There's kind of an explaining and a testifying that goes on, which, you know, I know that most of us are terrified of. Like the idea that we would like talk to other people about our life with God. It's like culturally not something that is like on the top 10 list of things to do. But I want to begin to talk a little bit about that, okay? So first, proclaiming the kingdom of God among us. So just after the moment when the Holy Spirit comes upon the group waiting in Jerusalem, so these people are waiting in Jerusalem, everyone is watching this unfold, and they think that the men and women who receive the Holy Spirit are drunk. It's, it's sort of the only category they have to see the, the joy that has spontaneously happened. It's the kind of joy that happens when there's like a couple bottles of wine left on the table after like a long evening. Like, that's kind of the, the scenario that I see when the presence of God comes, and these people are just filled with joy and laughter, and there's sort of a party that's erupting, and so everyone's like, these people must be drunk. But Peter stands up, and he addresses a crowd who have gathered, and, he's, and I'm picking up in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, if you want to follow along, we will have it up here. He says this, he says, Peter's taking his stand with the 11 disciples, raised his voice and declared... He raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants or my slaves, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Now, the people that Peter is speaking to are the people of Judea. They're people living in Jerusalem. And just a few verses earlier, Peter calls these people his brothers. And Luke points out that the people gathered on that day were faithful Jews. Like, these are Peter's people, friends. These are the people who, who would, he would regularly gather together with to walk to worship. These are the people that they would have celebrated Sabbath together. These are the people who have been knit together by their shared common commitment to worship and celebration in the reading of the scriptures. This is his church community, basically. The people that Peter is proclaiming to. Which is why the next thing he says is a, is a story that is from their shared narrative. It's one of their prophets, the prophet Joel. And the section that Peter pulls from, from the prophet Joel, is a poem that the, that the prophet wrote about what he saw as the promise of God being fulfilled. So the prophet Joel is writing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and he sees a day when the presence of God will finally come again upon the people. And so Peter is reaching back to the prophet Joel, and the prophet Joel is talking about a day when the Spirit of God and the presence of God is going to come among the people, but not in a temple. The prophet Joel says that God is going to pour out his spirit into people, into people like you and you, into people like me. And Joel says this, in those days, I will pour out my spirit on all the humans, all the humans. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And this word prophesy, as it's used throughout the New Testament, has a sense of speaking forth, of revealing what is hidden, particularly about the message of God for the world. So, friends, put yourself in this story. If we were to immerse ourselves in this scene, we would be hit with the same idea from three places. First, the Spirit falls on the people, and the people begin to proclaim the kingdom of God in all of these different languages. Second, Peter gets up, and he raises his voice, and he declares to the onlookers that in their own story, they had a prophet who predicted that everything that you are seeing unfolded would happen. So Peter's proclaiming this. And third, the prophet that he points to refers... Uh, the prophet who Peter refers to says that when the presence of God comes to fill his people, that one of the markers of the presence of God among a people is that they will declare, they will prophesy, they will declare out loud the mysteries of God. Everything around this scene is about the proclamation of the mysteries of God unfolding. The kingdom of God comes and the presence of God comes when the presence of God comes, people are going to have something to say about it. Does this make sense, guys? Okay. The rest of Peter's proclamation is him talking to his brothers and sisters through his own understanding of what is happening in their midst. He's trying to help them understand what is unfolding before them. And these are men and women with whom he would have worshipped uh, every single week with and celebrated all kinds of feasts throughout the years. And all of this is unfolding just over a month after the day of the crucifixion. And everybody listening to Peter would have known that this is one of the men who quit their jobs to become a student of the rabbi Jesus. And so Peter is describing for them in detail, here is how I see the kingdom of God unfolding before us. And he takes them... And he, and he takes him through the story of, of the scriptures, and he, and he quotes more poetry in David's psalms, and he's using their shared story and narrative to help them come to understand that God is up to something, and he's always been up to the same thing. He's always been up to the pouring out of his love into the world. And at the end of Peter's proclamation, Luke writes this. He says that when they heard all of this, when they heard it, they were pierced to the heart. And another way of saying this is that they were wounded in their conscience. And they say, what should we do as a response to all of this? Words that proclaim the work of God in the world have the capacity to pierce the hearts of those around us. And in this moment, friends, in this cultural moment that we live in, we take in so many words, don't we? Like, I don't know how many words that you think you might take in in the course of a day, but like, guys, it's a lot of information that we're taking in. Little posts on Twitter or short little videos on TikTok or 24-7 news going on in the background. There's a tidal wave of words and voices and messages and people proclaiming to us all sorts of things in the world. And so much of what we take in looks like a bunch of green squares. And in the midst of all of that, our job is to name some of them blue. Does this make sense? When we name squares blue, what we're doing is we're saying, 
I see the kingdom of God at work right over here. Here's how the kingdom of God is at work in my life. Let me shed a little blue on a sea of green. So friends, what if in the midst of all of the things that are happening in the world, all of the information, what if we had regular practices in our life where we are saying out loud what we see happening in the kingdom of God, the way that God is pouring his love out into us? In our homes and with our roommates and around fire pits and maybe over happy hour drinks or morning coffees, where we're declaring out loud to one another the way that we are encountering the presence and the love of God in our lives. Uh, earlier this week, a friend of mine, uh, on a little text thread message, he, he shared with me, this is a, a pastor who lives in another city, he shared with me uh, on this little group text thread that we have among some friends that he had been traveling the prior week to a conference and he came home uh, for a wedding, and he had just had a really full couple of weeks. And a couple of days after he got home, he was feeling pretty tired. But then he learned that day that uh, a 24 year old, a 24 year old kid in their church community was killed in an accident in the motorcycle. And this kid grew up in their church. And so he's coming in, he's two weeks like, go, go, go. He's completely exhausted. Now he's got a very big trauma to deal with in the life of the church. And he just reached out to us. And he says, guys, I'd love for you to pray for me. I've got a heavy lift over the next couple of days. And so we prayed for him and he had to wake up the next morning and prepare some words for the funeral and do the whole hosting of the funeral, like a lot of trauma and a lot of just grief to process as a church community. And at the end of the day, he texted back and he wrote this. He says, thanks guys for the prayers. We made it. I'm really proud of our church, he says. They served people so well today. About 1,500 people came through the receiving line during visitation, and another 500 stayed for the funeral. Our church did so well. And folks came, and they made lunch for the whole family. And then he said this, some serious gospel work for a devastated family. Just over a text message, he was declaring, making visible the kingdom of God at work. And I got to tell you, my heart was pierced by that. I was thinking about him, and I was thinking about their church, and I was thinking about this family, and I thought, wow, the kingdom of God spilled out into the life of a community in a really particular way. And something happened in me as I heard him name that that was kingdom gospel work. Does this make sense, friends? Something as simple as that. Like, what would you name as something that God is doing in you or among you? How would you describe that? The mystery of the kingdom of God is unfolding right next to the devastating news all around us, which tends to paint in a monochromatic green. And it's our job to look at the things that are blue and call them blue. So a quick aside, guys, you may, you may notice that once a month we don't gather corporately like this. Once a month we gather in what we call community formation groups. If you haven't had an opportunity to be a part of a community formation group, I want to encourage you to lean into that a little bit. The reason that we do that once a month 
is everything I'm talking about today, is that once a month we gather in smaller groups to allow some space for us to say out loud to one another what we see the kingdom of God working in our lives. And so uh, I really do believe that this is like down the center for how we want to think about moving forward. Like, I believe that we need more spaces to speak out loud the work that we see God doing in our lives, that in the midst of our frail bodies failing and dead-end searches for new jobs and difficult parenting moments, that, that we would be a people who will pause long enough to name out loud where we can see God at work. And then when we can't see it, that we will have other people be able to name it for us, that other people will be able to name the work of God in our lives. In the Apostle Paul's letter to the churches in Rome, he writes this. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by one another. He says this in his letter to the Romans. So friends, we proclaim and we speak out loud to one another where we see the kingdom of God at work among us as a family and in our own shared stories. And we also are invited to name some blue squares for those who cannot see the kingdom of God out there, for those that do not know God. So the proclamation in a way of explaining and testifying about the kingdom. In Acts chapter 17, Luke tells the story of the Apostle Paul traveling through the region of Greece. And after getting kicked out of a couple of synagogues and barely escaping a mob, he and some companions are hiding out in the city of Athens. And Paul was making his way through Athens, and he's just dialoguing with people. He's talking to people, and he's trying to talk with him about the kingdom of God. And some philosophers began to debate Paul in the marketplace, and they brought him to a meeting that was being hosted at a place called the Aragopagus. So the Aragopagus is like a—it's almost like a council. So in a world where everybody is, like, sharing different ideas— there was actually sort of like a, almost like a little, like a court, that if you had a strange idea that you were trying to share with people in the city, they would bring you to the court, the Aragopagus, and they would make you share it in front of this sort of panel of people um, to determine whether or not they should kill you or not, basically. So if you were teaching strange things, they would like kick you out of the city, they might kill you, they may stone you, because they were super protective of the kind of ideas that were spread throughout the city. Um, I don't know if we have something like this, but it might be called Twitter. Like, like it might be Facebook, it might be whatever TikTok, it might be is there a place where if you share a strange idea that you might sort of get canceled or I don't know, like that's sort of the closest thing that I think we have to the Aragopagus. But we don't actually have something one-to-one -one related to this where, where there's like a public venue where we're like sharing ideas. So Paul is before the Aragopagus and Luke writes this. This is not up on the screen. You're just going to have to listen or follow with me. I'm in Acts chapter 17 beginning in verse 19. He says, Then they took him, Paul, and they brought him to a meeting of the Aragopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some really strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. And so all of the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there 
They spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. That actually does sound like social media. So Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Aragopagus and he said this, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. So Paul is walking around the marketplace and he sees all of these temples, all of these little places of worship. Has anybody ever traveled to like Southeast Asia, maybe Thailand or Cambodia? Uh, anybody ever been a, into a, a country that has like little tiny, like little temples? No? You have? Okay. So the way that this works is that you're, you're traveling through like Cambodia, for example, there would be like a little temple to a to a god and you would go and you would buy like a little treat and you would like a little cupcake and you would set it at the temple as, a, as an act of worship so this is sort of like what's happening in athens and paul is walking his way through athens and he notices that there's a temple and the inscription on the temple says this temple is for the god that we don't know who it is <laughs> like just in case we miss a god we're going to create a temple so that he doesn't get angry with us And so Paul points to that temple and he says, I see that you are very religious and you even have a temple to a God that you think might exist, but you don't quite know. I'm going to tell you about him. Does this make sense? He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and and the earth, and he does not live in temples made by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else for one man he made all of the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times and their history and the boundaries of their lands god did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us he is not far from any one of us this is the apostle paul explaining and testifying how the kingdom of God works to people who have never heard about it. He's slowly asking them to consider that perhaps the things that they're grabbing a hold of in the world are real, but they point to something deeper. So let me ask you a question, friends. Where do you see the love of God at work in places that are outside of church? Like, where do you notice that the love of God is unfolding in our city and in the world around us? Um, Some of you know that uh, my wife, Jamie, uh, who's with the kids this morning, uh, she's a a yoga instructor. And she has spent the past six years investing in a community of people who practice yoga. And let me tell you, those people are religious. (laughs) Yoga people, they show up and they sweat in a room of 110 degrees like four or five times a week. Like, that's, that's like a very religious people. And one of the things that I notice is that as Jamie has leaned into this community, there's been so many opportunities to begin to sort of shine a light on the things that they're reaching for. People in yoga, they, they, they concentrate on trying to like, can I just ground myself on this planet? Can I put my two feet? Can I sit in a chair and be grounded? Could I focus on my breath and allow that to do something for me? And I just like wonder, I don't know how to think about describing the kingdom of God in that situation, but I, 
But what I want to point out is this, is that there are things all throughout our world that people are grabbing onto that have been put there by the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? Like, think with me about the breath. Do you guys know that, that yoga people focus on breath? They're really into their breathing. Like, you, you can tell a person does yoga if you ever hear them just like, <sighs> like they're trying to ground themselves, right? But here's something I want to share with you that's really interesting. There's an ancient sort of perspective about breath that if you just breathe in and out, that you speak the name of God. People who are into breath, what they don't know is that God has put his breath inside of them. And with every single breath they take, they're speaking his name, Yahweh, Yahweh. People don't know that there are all sorts of things that God has planted in beauty, in art, in the way that we laugh with one another, in the way that we play with one another, in all sorts of ways, the kingdom of God is unfolding. And part of our work is to be able to name that for people. When is the last time you had something to say about the love of God being poured out into your life to somebody else who doesn't know about the love of God? And listen, I don't want to ask that question in any way that feels shaming. I know that when we talk about, like, you know, are you telling people about Jesus? That's actually not even what I'm talking about. You cannot give away what you do not have. And so the question that I'm asking for us to wrestle with is what has God poured out into you and into you that you could think about, how do I say this to my neighbor? Or to my favorite barista. Like, how do I build a relationship with somebody where I would be able to talk about the transformation of God's love in me in a way that I'm just like being a part of our society, sharing good news with people about the transforming power of love? Does this make sense to you guys? I do think that we need to have a, a conversation about how to talk about Jesus in our culture and how to share our faith. I do think I want to do that. But I think more importantly, the place to start with is what has God done for you? There are surely spaces in my life where God is inviting me to name out loud and to say out loud the little hints of blue that I see unfolding in the places that I inhabit into the world. So God, give me the grace and the wisdom and the courage to love people in this city by simply naming the places where your kingdom is at work in my life, in the lives of others, and in the world around us. That's what we're about here, friends. In one of Peter's letters, he says it like this. He says, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is inside of you. And in order for you to be ready to give a reason for the hope, you have to be present to the hope which is why we spend so much time helping you become present to what God is doing in your life. 
Sometimes people are like, why do you do that? <laughs> and I just want to say to you, friends, that the reason we do that is because I really believe that God is depositing something in you over and over and over again. And if you become present to it, you will be ready to say something out loud to other people. I want to just close um, with one last thought. There's one final piece of evidence to present to you that can help us remember that the way that the kingdom of God and the presence of God comes is through words, and it's this. In the opening pages of the scriptures, the spirit of God is hovering over the chaos of the pre-creation world. Like this is how the writer of Genesis narrates and describes the world prior to creation. This is the same spirit who would later come to that group of gathered people in the book of Acts, waiting on the power to bear witness to the world of the good news of God. The presence of God is hovering over the darkness and the chaos. And then what does God do? He speaks. He says, let there be light. And then there was light. Let there be land. Let there be creatures. Let us make man in our image. He speaks and things happen. And one of the ways that we bear the image of God is to use our voice and our words to say and name what God is doing in the world. Okay? So as we worship, what I would love to encourage you to do is to pick up where you left off in that time of silence, to wonder in prayer and in worship, God, what are you doing in me? And where in the world are you inviting me to de declare that out loud? It might just be with, with one another in this room before you leave. You might come up to somebody and say, hey, I want to say out loud what I think God is doing in my life. And it may be that God is leading you to think about who in your life that doesn't know life with God? Who needs to hear what God is doing in you? Okay? So let me just invite the presence of God, the worship team can come back up. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come as we worship God. Would you stir our hearts? God, give us the strength and uh, the courage to show up and to stay present to the work that you're doing. In Christ's name, 